This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Join with me today are Amy Nelson and Richard Marquez. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. Good is good. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. We, uh, at the time of this recording, came back from spring break and my kids are driving me crazy. Those kids. <laughs> it's My kids are reminding me only 20 more days, so I think I can make it. Yeah, I think you can. <laughs> yes. So let's start off with Babel Conference feedback from Earl Grey 270 that was on our favorite friendships. Uh, so Richard, do you want to read the first one? Mark Keller says, uh, great examples all around. I agree. Jordy is Mr. Friendly. Another uh, friendship is the, is the one between Jordy and Barkley. Jordy overlooks Barkley's uh, social awkwardness and often takes time to t- uh, give him advice. It's an example of one of, the, uh, of my favorite, uh, favorite themes in Star Trek, the willingness to take people for who they are and despite their uh, shortcomings. Everybody has value. Yeah. It's a great pick. I love Jordy and Barkley together. Yeah, and way to pick out a really good theme of, you know, taking people for who they are. So thank you, Mark. We have Kimberly Lawler writes, This was a warm, fuzzy episode of Earl Grey. I loved it. Great picks. Jordy really is the friendliest character, and all of his picks made me smile. I did agree with Amy more than Justin about the Riker Wharf friendship. It's built on mutual respect, but they also socialize together. They are a lot more on equal footing than Worf and Picard. The one friendship I can't believe didn't make even honorable mention is Picard and Beverly. They have been friends the longest by far in the show, unless you count Guinan being a few hundred years old, and their relationship is definitely built on trust and respect. They have dinner and breakfast together all the time, apparently go to social events together, and talk to each other on all kinds of issues, whether scientific or personal, like in cause and effect, the chase, or the perfect mate. They also aren't afraid to call each other out on issues they disagree about, like in the perfect mate when Beverly stands up for Kamala's rights, or in ethics when they respectfully but forcefully disagree about Worf. On the bonus question, I enjoyed Trip Tucker's friendship with Archer and Reed, but my favorite non-TNG friendship is probably Kirk and McCoy. 
Well, thank you so much, Kimberly, for your very thoughtful message. And I agree. I think Tucker is definitely some good picks, good friends with Archer and with Reed. And can you believe we forgot Picard and Beverly? I know. What are we (laughs) thinking? (laughs) Ah, well. But our listeners are there to let us know what we missed, which is great. (laughs) So we also have an email about that episode And that email comes from Tammy Kervainen, and Tammy is located in Southeast Finland. So Tammy says, hello, I really, really loved your show on the friendships of TNG. It truly is a show of friends, as all the bridge crew seems to be so close. I must agree with the statement of Jordy seemingly being the easiest to befriend. Another good example of that that you didn't mention, and one that reminds me of his and Hugh's relationship, is the beginnings of a friendship Jordy has with Bakra in The Enemy. I know it is short-lived, but I love to imagine that had we known Bakra for longer, they could have been another new and exciting pair. I love your so- sh- I love your show so much. <laughs> Let me go back. I love your show so much. Love from Finland. All right, thank you, Tammy. Really appreciate that. And yeah, Jordi and Centurion Bakra in the enemy. I've been interesting if you saw them as friends in a later episode for whatever reason. Yeah, by the end of that episode, man, they were. They went through a lot together, and that does bring friendship. So thank you sure for your did. email. Yeah, that's a great pick. All right, so on today's episode, we are continuing with our Lost Episode series. And you're going to want to hear this one for sure, because I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. This is a crazy, crazy script for sure. And I, I want to say before I talk about who wrote it that I know before we've done seasons one and two and listeners have asked, when are you going to go into a later season? That is today because this is a season five script. Exciting, Woo-hoo! right? <laughs> yeah. So this one is called IQ Test and it was written by Herb Wright. Now Herb Wright was a producer during the first and fifth seasons of TNG. He received co-writing credits on the episodes The Last Outpost, The Battle, Heart of Glory, and Power Play. And we've also mentioned him before in our Lost Episode series because he rewrote David Gerald's, un- David Gerald's unproduced Season 1 episode Blood and Fire as the Season 5 episode Blood and Ice, which was also unproduced. So we put this episode name out there, IQ Test, on the Babel Conference on Facebook and on Twitter, and we had some guesses for what people thought this episode was about. So Richard, do you want to read the first one? This comes from Jim McMahon. Q puts the crew through a series of obstacles increasing in difficulty. That would be like Q. (laughs) So Mahendran Radhakrishnan says, Q administers a test on the entire crew of the Enterprise, but the Q continuum uses this test to make Q prove his Q-ness. I like that one as well, especially for the word (laughs) Q-ness. Yes. Chris Trebuzio guesses Q is put through his own trial of humanity versus omnipotence in which humanity outsmarts him at every turn, causing a continual reboot. Think tic-tac-toe in War Games 1984. Hmm. Interesting. Man, that's an old movie. I haven't seen that yeah, in years. I haven't seen that probably in a couple decades. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lewis Adams says Q's rival... I, 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 <laughs> I, I, it looked like it was going to be another sentence, <laughs> arrives on the Enterprise to taunt the crew. Q begrudgingly 
uh, risks his op- uh, omnipotence to save those he has come to uh, come to see as friends. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't know about friends. <laughs> Maybe I like don't know. entertainment. Yes. <laughs> Gets along with Picard better later on. But <laughs> So Arend M.D. Mays says, a story that tries to gauge the intelligence of an artificial intelligence. It's interesting. It's the first one not to mention Q. <laughs> Christian Alonzo guesses, it sounds like what may be turned into season six is true Q about a human becoming a Q. Hmm. Carlos Figaro said the continuum uh, encounters a higher intelligence and Q is put to the test, a test that he can only pass with the help of, you guessed it, the crew of the Enterprise. Lots of tests. So Michelle Huber guesses, well, it's definitely a Q episode. Does Q test Picard about his crew, about their knowledge and understanding of the Q? I like that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Angel A. Sanchez Perez, Perez says, Q suffers the Q equivalent of brain damage, but his powers are not affected, causing all kinds of hijinks and shenanigans. The crew has to, against their better judgment, help him get back to being himself again. Hmm, very interesting. So we also have some guesses from Twitter. So 68 Rick Carter said, Picard somehow turns the tables and challenges, quote unquote, Tess Q. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we have our C. Brian Jones Guesses, two years after the events of Iborg, the Enterprise stumbles upon Hugh on a planet in the Trebekian system. <laughs> when Q suddenly appears, Data decides to explore his immu- humanity by pitting the friendly drone and the omnipotent prankster in a winner-take-all round of Space Jeopardy. All right, I'm on board. Yeah, I, I don't care if that's not this story. I want to see that. And yeah. and that was a nice little thing in there, Chris, the Trebekian system after Alex Trebek. <laughs> All right, so we have at Sci-Fi Fan Freak Forty Eight uh, guesses a dormant gene of one of the members of the crew activates and they become a super genius. He slash she develops a technology that can maximize warp drive capacity to supernova speeds. I like that one. Yeah. Chuck From said, um, "I'm going to make the very bold prediction that it that it has nothing to do with Q." That was my thought too. <laughs> Uh, my guess is an intelligence uh, intelligence emerges among the crew, or possibly a non-commissioned passenger, kind of like Gary Mitchell, because somehow it threatens everyone a little, like Barkley in the nth degree. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Lots of creative guesses. So, shall we see what this episode is all about? Yes, please. Okay. So here's IQ test. There's been a shuttle crash on an alien planet with Data and Jordy hanging on for dear life over a chasm. Riker is on the planet too, but separated from them. As all this is going on, there is a star flare and Q appears, angelically dressed in a long white robe. So, it does have Q. (laughs) Q peers over the cliff's edge and starts to laugh as he gestures theatrically over the chasm. He is thrilled at watching the human spirit at work. At that moment, there is another flare, and Q2 appears. And now I need to say this is Q-T-O-O. That's how it uh, is in the script. Q2. Uh (laughs) As in Q also. So Q2 appears, 
as a woman tightly clad in black alien leathers, a raven-haired ball of fire who glances imperiously over the edge, unimpressed. I have to say, this made me think of the female Q in Voyager. In the ensuing discussion, Q continues to sing the praises of humanity, which Q2 could obviously give two dips about. It says two dips about specifically. Uh, then Riker approaches Geordi and Data. Using an almost superhuman effort, he pulls them to safety. Q is delighted, but Q2 remains unmoved. The away team manages to beam back aboard the Enterprise. So then Picard's log informs us that the Enterprise lost a shuttle in its ongoing rescue attempt of the missing colony on Zlapik 3. I think that's how you spell it, X-L-A-P-A-K. It's a creative planet name. Though they were able to save the away team, another attempt must be made. While Geordi is in engineering, attempting to figure out what the next move should be from his point of view, Q and Q2 materialize, continuing their conversation from before. Q proclaims, You dare to call a species which could produce the marvels that surround you stupid? Look at this, will you? Why, they have harnessed the, the fusion power of a small star inside there. How charming, she replies. And oh, so primitive. Really, Q, do you dare to gamble on these apes? Absolutely. They're my apes, and I love them. Let me show you more. Cutting to the bridge, Picard is getting communiques from all over the ship regarding the appearance of Q and his companion. Frustrated, Picard growls, Damn that Q! Why is it that every bloody time we find ourselves in the thick of a critical mission, Q shows up? Why the hell does Q pick moments like this? I think this is the only time we hear Picard say bloody. Oh. <laughs> As like a curse. Because, Captain, responds Q, this is exactly when you humans are so interesting. Within moments, Picard is stunned to discover that the Enterprise crew is part of a bet being waged between the two Qs, an Olympics of sorts between humans and the Zanar, a brilliant yet savage race. Q2 announces the stakes. She will annihilate the losing team, along with their entire species everywhere throughout the galaxy. Picard, of course, protests. Q says, that's ludicrous, Q2. I will not do that. I like my human beings. Besides, the galaxy would be a lonelier place without them. She reduces the wages to just the Enterprise crew and then goads Q on with the fact that if he doesn't accept, she'll go back to the continuum and spread the news that Q has gone native. This does the trick as he announces that they accept her terms. So we're setting up some kind of uh, game competition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's actually quite interesting because there's a uh, comic series now, Q Conflict, which kind of has a similar idea <laughs> of pitting. Di they're actually different crews from across different time periods, but yeah. So instantly another starship appears, flopping into position alongside the Enterprise. It looks like an ominous alien version of the stealth bomber, angular, muscular, and lethal in its design. Q's team will consist of Picard, Riker, and Crusher. Assume Beverly Crusher. So Q2 materializes her players, Atina, Executioner, as there is no need for doctors. Now, this is a crew from the other uh, species uh, ship. First Officer Balum and Captain Chakmal. Picard tries to make nice-nice, but the aliens will have none of it, laughing off his attempts at friendship. So then the Qs start debating each other. Picard wants to know what the point of this whole thing is, but he's ignored. Riker adds that if they're going to play some games, shouldn't they at least be aware of the rules? No rules, says Q2. Each event will dictate its own guidelines and high score wins. Losers all die. Argues Picard, 
Our lives are not like poker chips to be thrown away in some silly game. Q, annoyed at the taunting of Q2, dismisses the notion by turning the entire bridge crew into a series of poker chips. Oh, my Man, goodness. that would have been really something to see, right? <laughs> uh, so, Jordy, Troy, and Worf's faces are all trapped as holograms inside the big chip, slowly moving in silent agony. The outside chip rim reads USS Enterprise Casino. I mean, could you even imagine this imagery on the show? Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> that sounds like that the first Superman when they're stuck in the Phantom Zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's like, Wow. That, that would have been something to see. All right, so Q2 does the same to crew members of the Zonar ship, resulting in Chakmal proclaiming, we are nothing before you, O Q. Q2 is elated while Q is turned off at that vulgar sort of display of frightened affection. Ever the diplomat, Picard approaches Chakmal with the intention of settling the situation. The alien captain will have none of it. There will be only one way that the situation can be settled, and with that, everyone vanishes. An instant later, Picard and Chakmal stand at two sides of a triangular ring which is lit from above. Both of them are stripped to boxer-like trunks accompanied by spiked shoes, accompanied by spiked gloves and ring shoes. Q2 is at the bell corner while Q wearing a tuck serves as MC. Riker and Beverly flank Picard's corner while the two aliens flank the opposing captain. I'm also trying to imagine like Picard in a boxing ring. It seems so bizarre. Well, and that spiked glove reminds me of Code of Honor. Oh, I could kind of see that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is how the, um, the story with Robert Beltran uh, uh, for oh, that appeared in, in, in Voyager. Voyager for the fight. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah that sounds it sounds kind of like kind of like it, but hmm. yeah. Anyway, I mean, just sure. saying, like um, appearing out of nowhere is what I mean. Mm-hmm. His interest for boxing. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. <laughs> So once again, Picard refuses to fight until he's told that if he doesn't, he'll serve as Chakmal's lunch. I'll eat your brains first, snarls the alien. Picard finally agrees, provided that they fight without the spikes on their gloves. The fight begins, Chakmal connecting with every kick and punch he throws out. So it's kickboxing, apparently. (laughs) But Picard's return punches pass through the alien as though he wasn't there. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, something sneaky. Mm Mm-hmm. So it turns out that it has to do with a series of circles which are also in the ring. Red circles make someone transparent and white ones make them whole again. Sounds like a video game. (laughs) Yeah. Using this information, Picard is able to gain the upper hand, which immediately causes the two cues to start fighting again, actually resulting in Chakamal being declared the winner of the round. Q gets to choose the next game, and everyone finds themselves around a card table. Cards offers Q a game of chance. All the chips appear, Picard's eyes locking on the one featuring a pained Troy. Oh, poor Troy. Yeah. (laughs) So now we have a game of poker, accompanied by a bit of Q Hocus Pocus and commentary. Riker and Picard flirt with Q2 in an effort to win some favor from her. Meanwhile, as had been established earlier, Chakmal is holding a royal flush while Riker's cards are garbage. However, this does not stop the commander from performing one of the greatest bluffs of his career. 
Eventually, it comes time for the cards to be revealed, and Riker displays the royal flush, with Chakmal's hand now being what had been in Riker's. The alien is furious, but Q disputes the claim that he cheated. Dealer's choice, he says simply, and in my game of poker, a good bluff always wins. Match to Riker. Picard then stuns just about everyone by separating the Zonar crew chips he just acquired and shoving them back toward Chakmal. We will always do the honorable thing, Captain Chakmal, he notes. Now it is Q2's turn to pick an event, and her first suggestion is a five-kilometer swim through shark-infested waters sprinkled lightly with piranha. Hmm. So, fun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> really, and just getting started on this. <laughs> I can see where, uh, where the logistical uh, shortcomings are <laughs> <laughs> on this, because I can only imagine what the CGI and all the prop people are thinking right, uh, as they're reading this. Yeah, and they didn't really have much CGI they could use then. <laughs> so. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and they might, well, anyway, we'll get into what people thought about it behind the scenes. But So Picard has Q call for a timeout. Suddenly, they're intent forward at banquet tables. The Zonar wait for Q2 to give them a blessing, and then they rip hungrily into their lunch, the sounds reverberating throughout the room. What does that sound like to you, number one, muses Picard. A Klingon picnic? Exactly. Maybe a little Klingon psychology might go far here. Picard then approaches the Zonar table with a bottle of wine, offering a toast to Chakmal's coming death. Leaping to his feet and raising his goblet, Chakmal counters that he'll drink to Picard's death. Then Picard offers his pity for a race that has allowed itself to be used like dogs by Q2. Chakmal rejects his pity, which Picard says might be the situation someday when the mistress rejects her slave. Before the alien can respond, everyone is gone again, this time appearing in a shuttle. Q has managed to convince Q2 to alter her plans for the next game. Instead, they will partake in a shuttle race. You also see a shuttle race in Voyager, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. So things are made more complicated by the fact that they're supposed to navigate the shuttles through an asteroid belt without controls. At Picard's fury, Q comments, Of course you do know I'd never allow you not to be in control, Captain. In other words, there are controls, they just have to find them. As the shuttle is rocked by asteroids, Picard and Riker get more desperate. Q is then wearing a Hawaiian shirt, shades, and baggy shorts, noting, If you know how to hang ten, you'll become one with the wave. Beverly makes the connection to surfing, explaining that that's how they ride the crest of our home planet's ocean waves. As foolish as they feel doing it, Picard and Riker move behind their chairs and mimic a surfing position offered by Q. <laughs> I think when I was first reading this, I just lost it. Like, could you imagine Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes doing that? Like pretending to surf behind a chair in a shuttle? That would be awesome. I would like to see that. I'd like to see it too, but it's, wow, yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> so as a result of that, the flight smooths, smooths out. Picard exclaiming, we are the controls. <laughs> through this method, they maneuver the shuttle safely through that turbulent quadrant of space. By thinking warp one, the shuttle abruptly achieves that speed, passing the Zondar shuttle, but it's only a short matter of time before they catch up. Both shuttles achieve warp two, headed toward a huge pulsing red triangle which hovers in space beyond the glowing asteroid course guides. The Zarnar pull ahead, but Q decides to slow them down with an asteroid suddenly appearing before the aliens. When it becomes obvious that the other shuttle will be destroyed by the asteroid, Picard tells Riker to change course for interception. 
The shuttle rams the Zonar shuttle from the rear, successfully knocking it out of the way of the asteroid while simultaneously pushing that ship through the red triangle. Everyone is back in 10 forward, Q2 celebrating their latest victory. Picard tries to explain his motivation for saving the aliens, but Q is too indignant to really hear him. The Zonar have a score of 78, while the humans have only 20. That's why I'll tell you a little story about another being I once knew, says Q, who made me promise on his deathbed that when things got rough, I'd ask you to go back out there and win just one for the great bird of the... Q2 interrupts ready for the next event. Ah, um, that's ba- funny. <laughs> they were trying to insert a Great Bird of the Galaxy reference. For right. Roddenberry. Love wow. it. <laughs> so naturally, another argument erupts between them, giving Chakmal the opportunity to ask Picard what kind of warrior he is. The captain responds, a peaceful warrior, I would hope. But the alien tells him not to expect the same from him. Why not, Picard wonders. Perhaps he might like it. There's no time to consider that, though as the cues stop arguing and everyone finds themselves on the Enterprise bridge, only now it has been redesigned as a game show set. Factor Fiction announces Q, stay tuned, we'll be right back. Q as a game show host. Okay. So Q plays the part of game show host to the hilt as Factor Fiction gets underway. Q2 asks the first question, which is, if the universe were about to end, how would you spend your final hours? Picard replies that he would read a good book, but no other sentient beings in the crowd surveyed agree. (laughs) Beverly would like to be with her family, which scores 90 points. Riker says he would make love, bringing in another 460 points. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) There was no one in that survey that wanted to read a book? Okay. So the opposing team is then offered the same questions. Chakamal says that he would spend his last few hours terminating Q, but no one agrees which is kind of surprising considering Q's reputation. Atina would have sex, but she scores no points because that answer was already given. Ah, nice. (laughs) Balloon would eat Beverly's liver, which gets them 270 points. (laughs) What? Okay. It's, yeah, bizarre. Okay. (laughs) So the bonus question is for them to name a particular tune Believe it or not, the first strains of the theme music from Star Trek, the original series, start playing. No way. No, it does not. That's too funny. That is what would have happened. Wow. So none of the Zonar can answer. Picard hits the buzzer. My grandmother used to whistle this, the theme from Bonanza. (laughs) A joyful cue responds, close enough. A classic from the same broadcast century. You win. Picard's scoreboard shoots up to 960 points. Q2 is livid because that was not the right answer. She starts screaming at Chalk Mall, those broadcasts are playing in your damn solar system right now. <laughs> the alien has no answer, but Q2 no longer cares. She gets to choose the next game. Needless to say, yet another fight breaks out between the Qs. Picard attempts to intervene, telling them to shut up, and then suggesting they wrap things up with a duel to the death between he and Captain Chalk Mall. The only condition is that both crew are returned to normal. Chakmal steps forward, telling Picard that he accepts the challenge. <clears throat> Q2 then agrees. They're on a planet in the midst of a sandstorm. In an arena a la Spartacus, the two Qs sit at a covered platform. Between them are two smaller platforms, the Zanars on the left and Riker and Beverly on the right. In the arena itself, Chakmal holds an alien trident and a long net while Picard has a short sword and small shield. Picard draws first blood, but Chakmal nets the captain. 
Picard uses his sword to stop the trident from skewering him. Chakmal attempts to stab him to death, but Picard moves out of the way. The fight continues, resulting in Chakmal getting Picard down on the ground and about to deliver the death blow. The alien hesitates to kill him. Q2 delivers the thumbs-down signal, but Chakmal refuses to kill him, stating, Picard is a warrior, a man of honor. I've learned much from his human ways. He must live. It's kind of an interesting take on Arena when, when Kirk doesn't kill the Gorn, but... Hmm. Okay, there's a lot going on in this episode. So Q2 is stunned, having never had a problem with the Zanar. Q is deliriously happy because his team has won. Everyone appears back on the bridge of the Enterprise. Q2 wants a rematch, but Picard refuses, pointing out that that wasn't part of the agreement. Q suggests that he and Q2 go black hole bowling with comets. They argue again, giving Chakmal and his officers the chance to speak to Picard, expressing admiration. The captains salute each other as friends, and the Zanar are transported back to their own ship. Q2 is the next to vanish. Q is thrilled, thanks Picard, and vanishes as well. Picard is ready to get back to the mission at hand when Worf announces that all colonists from Zlapak 3 are safely aboard the Enterprise. A parting gift from Q, no doubt, muses Riker. Well, at least we made new allies, number one, somewhere out there in space. So, <laughs> Amy, what do you think of this episode and whether or not you would have liked to see it? Well, Okay. <laughs> It's crazy, uh, isn't it? The, yeah, very, very crazy. I like the different type of tests, and I think our listeners uh, were pretty good. Like we had one guess that it was Jeopardy, but in fact it was Factor Fiction, which seems to be more like oh, Family yeah. Feud, you know. Um, yeah. I the uh, you know the boxing and the poker. Um, I, I think it would be a nice light episode. I think it would be mm-hmm. fun to see. Um, and yet there's still that underlying theme of, you know, testing humanity and time and time again, it's it's probably a little too bonk bonk on the head that Picard is the always the one that's going to reach out for friendship and try diplomacy and, you know, sacrifice his points to save them from the asteroid you know, so I, I like that theme of it. But one thing that really bugs me is, well, I'm teaching game theory to my students. And in game theory, you need to, there are four components. You need to know the players, which they obviously do. Uh, you need to know the rules. And there were no rules, <laughs> no rules. <laughs> set out. No rules. And I was like, nope, can't play this game. And you need to know the payoff. Like, what is it that you get when you win? What is it that you get when you lose? And when the point systems are so random, like you you can't even strategize in any way, shape, or form. And then Mm -hmm. you need to understand the consequences. So with those four components... And they only really knew one of the components was not at all. It's it, it's actually questionable whether they know the players because they've never seen these Zadar people before. Well, that, that's true, but they <laughs> they know who they're playing against. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. What what do you think, yeah. Richard? Yeah, it's yeah. I wouldn't want to see it. it it's yeah. too out too out there. It's it, yeah. I, I have another word for it, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's it's junk. It's a junk story. It really is. It's too comical, and uh, and it's it's like drawing outside. It's like coloring outside lines. There's it's just 
it doesn't it doesn't match anywhere. Uh, I mean, I can't. I, I was trying to think of where uh, this story would uh, fit if, say, for instance, they were to, and I can't think of one time, not even season seven, when they're all comfortable with each other. So I, yeah, yeah I can't even think of a, uh, think of a place to put it if they did it. But I, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, there are aspects of it that I like. And actually, when <laughs> when I was, because I read these things before, you know, I'm going to talk about it on, on the show here. And there was a point where I was laughing so much that my wife was wondering what was wrong with me <laughs> because I just couldn't help it because there's just some ridiculous stuff in here. I mean, first of all, like if this episode would have happened and they would have played the original series theme, so Star Trek would be canon within Star Trek, right? I guess. Um I mean, there's some really out there stuff. And, and if they had actually gone through with this episode, it would have been the kind of thing that some people would love and some people would hate mm-hmm. for sure, right? <laughs> like, But I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it, but I kind of love that the script is around and we can have fun talking about it. But I think they so- do a really good job in capturing the essence of Q and how he's always trying to pit him up against people. and But yet we see him rooting and wanting his you know the crew of the enterprise d to come out victorious you know and that's that seems to capture the essence of q and so i think it was definitely a season five uh it wouldn't have worked any earlier i don't think Hmm. i could see that so you guys want to hear a little bit more about how this was developed and what happened with it yes please (laughs) Okay, so uh, we have some information here from you know Herb Wright, who, who uh, wrote this. So he said, My basic mandate from Rick Berman when I came back for the fifth season was to put more science fiction, weirdness, and humor in the show. He felt that the show had become too soap opera-y with too many small personal stories. I was given a choice of three or four stories they had. I did power play, and then there was this Q story which had been brought in by a first-time writer, I did power play, and then there was this Q story which had been bought from a first-time writer, and it was basically that there were going to be two Qs who were going to force our crew into an Olympics with other alien races. Rick Berman and Michael Piller said they wanted it funny, crazy, and outrageous. I went away and came away with a story. Then I sat down with the entire staff and worked out the story over two days. They chose a game show, and they chose a boxing match, and they chose a shuttle race. I had to make those things interesting. One of the problems with writing these scripts is that the cues talk a lot. One cue talks a lot, two cues. So what happens to our regulars? Rick said, don't worry about it. When cue comes on, you just give him the show and write for the cues. Then all these things seemed too expensive for a one-hour episode, but I was told not to worry about it. So I wrote the script feeling that it was different than the normal episode. I turned it in and the staff loved it. Rick Berman loved it, but Michael Piller despised it. He said it was not the kind of show he wanted to do, and that was it. (laughs) So, interestingly, Herb Wright also says, As I was writing the script, I said, Wait a minute, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger would do the show? I happen to know a lot of people who know Arnold, and I managed to work out the story in such a way that despite the fact he's our guest villain, he ends up becoming a good guy at the end. He actually wins and bends to Picard's humanity. He would have done it, and I'm just sorry that it didn't work out. No way. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, Voyager got the rock and we could have had Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the alien captain. That would have been pretty interesting. Yeah. 
What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I wouldn't have bought it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't have bought it. He's just not. What? Uh, it's a zany, crazy story. So I can no, see I it. know, but I'm just saying. Like, what? When did uh, this? This was right around '93, somewhere around there. '92 or so, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, like the Terminator, the uh, Terminator One and Terminator Two was just about to come yeah. out. Yeah, I just I don't know. I because I don't think <laughs> he did. Did he do a comedy Court- besides Twins? A lot of people liked Star Trek, especially now that season five was coming on and. If Herbright said that he knew Arnold and that... I think he was saying it would have happened if the yeah. script had, had happened, but Michael Pillar Michael said Pillar, no. Michael Pillar, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that was there's, one of those things. There's no way to hell uh, uh, Picard would survive a freaking uh, blow from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> there's no way. There's no <laughs> way. That's like, that's like getting hit by the rock. <laughs> yeah. I could see that, but very interesting that we could have had Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in Star Trek. So that's the story. I do have a couple of other things because as it happened, and they're smaller than than what we've just gone through. So as it happened, they kept trying to have Q stories in season five and it kept not working out. <laughs> so there, there's a couple of more that I wanted to talk about. So there was another one they were thinking of doing called Q Makes Two. So in, in that one... Um, so, so that's a, it, it says here, that's a story that made the rounds of the writing staff for nearly a year. And in it, Q creates a duplicate of the Enterprise and the crew. So Brandon Braga says, what made it so difficult was that we doubled the entire crew and I thought the whole concept was flawed. The way I thought it should have gone was Q doubled them and there was one uniform characteristic that's different about all of its crew members. They're all evil, greedy, or something. That seems simplistic, but I think it could have worked dramatically in a one-hour episode. What we tried to do was give each character several psychological characteristics that were different and none of them were the same. So suddenly you have to delineate 12 characters, none of whom are the original. It was so impossibly complicated that we had to write a little chart on the board while we were breaking it to keep it clear visually for, for us on who was who. My suggestion as a joke was we should do a 7-Eleven tie-in where the audience could go to 7-Eleven and buy a little chart to keep clear who was who in the episode. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Braga continues, there was a sense of doom from the moment we started Q Makes 2. I think we broke it three times. Renee wrote two drafts and it was ultimately abandoned. It's an interesting notion that Q comes aboard and Picard saying people are inherently good and we have managed to get rid of our darker elements in the 24th century and we're better people. Q says, so you don't think you have dark components and you think you're better without them. Well, I'm going to show you a thing or two. And so he extracts the darker components and puts them into doubles. The clean good components suffer and so do the darker components and neither functions without the other. So you see that dramatically, but that dramatically, but for some reasons it made it more complex than it needed to be. So, and and uh, <clears throat> Jerry Taylor goes on to say, Q makes two is a debacle and plunged us into a nightmare in having to get Man of the People ready. When we started in on another Q episode, I was a little apprehensive to say the least. I thought, why are we going back to this so quickly? But this was a delightful premise which came our way from a young man who wrote a spec script and had had notions of playing the part of the young person himself, but we made it a female and that ruined it for him. It was definitely a high concept, wonderful idea that was in contrast to the other Q episode. It was one that I knew would work. It just felt right. So I guess... Q making copies of the Enterprise crew it makes me think a little bit of the Voyager episode Deadlock, where you have like two 
versions of the crew. Go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was thinking, sit down, listeners. I was thinking the original series. Isn't there one oh, where there's within? the evil Kirk and the yeah. good Kirk? That's the enemy within. I yeah. See, look at me referencing the original series. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, that's what I sort of, yeah, just went to. And that was a yeah. great episode. I could see that. Although this is this is more than just one person being split in half. This is like duplicating like All of them. six yeah. main crew members. Yeah, so but still, and I think Q definitely has a point. You know, it's like you think that you're all on your high horse and that we don't have dark components. Well, yeah, we do. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, what do you think of that one, Richard? Oh, I still don't know if that will work either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it may be why it, it didn't work. So th- there was actually a couple more concepts. So, and this one, I just have a little bit of information. They didn't really have a title for it. They just called it the Q Goes Insane story. <laughs> hmm. So... So Ronald D. Moore devised a story which had Q losing his mind. He says, I pitched a memo about a Q show. The universe suddenly fractured and there were all these bizarre things happening. It was a totally nutso beginning. Picard is suddenly walking down a New York street dressed in his uniform, but carrying a briefcase and wearing a fedora. He passes Riker, who is pounding on the side of the building with a loaf of bread. That's Riker's job, to pound the side of a building with a loaf of bread. And a Klingon's driving a taxi cab. And a knight in shining armor is the cop. All this insane stuff. In fact, more imagine multiple armor-clad knights walking around on the New York street. All our characters are there, and they are doing things that make zero sense, he continued. And then the camera pans by an, al- by an alley. And there, lying by a trash can, is Q, who is dressed like a homeless guy, and he's mumbling to himself, I used to be a super being. It's all about us trying to figure out that none of this is the way things are supposed to be, and that nutty guy who is saying he used to be a super being is actually right. So, <laughs> I see elements of uh, emergence later, right? Mm. With the, the the night and the taxi cab and all kinds of weird stuff happening. Right. But, uh, yeah. What do you think of this one, Amy? Yeah, well, maybe because it's not as in-depth as the others. I can't Yeah, there's really... not as much info. Yeah, but it doesn't really even sound interesting, so <laughs> I would, I, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like they had this crazy premise for the beginning, but maybe they weren't sure what to do with it after. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. do you think, Richard? Yeah, I could, I mean, I, I don't, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't care for it, but <laughs> I mean, I can <laughs> see it happening, I guess, I mean, I don't know, um, very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So there's one more that they, they, they kept trying. Like, I think season five is the only season that does not have Q. And I think the reason why is they were throwing around all these ideas and they all got rejected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why he's not in season five. Yeah. Hmm. So one more, which they just called the Quantum Leap Q story. Woohoo, Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah. So at one point, Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, who is a writer on TNG and DS9, uh, pitched a Q story much in the style of the series Quantum Leap. So Wolf specified that he pitched it when he first came to TNG. During the course of the story, Q transforms Picard, Data, and Deanna Troy into officers aboard a Romulan ship. There was no Romulan makeup involved. They weren't possessing the bodies, explained Wolf. The visual gag was the same as Quantum Leap, where we'd look at them and see them as themselves, and maybe in a reverse shot we might see them as other people completely. 
The degree of similarity to Quantum Leap caused the producers not to want to do the story, which consequently was never bought. It does say, though, that this story is a bit of a precursor to the Deep Space Nine episode Second Skin, where Kira ends up kind of waking up thinking she's a Cardassian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But a Quantum Leap Q story. <laughs> so, Richard, thoughts on what that would have been like or if you would like to see it? I got to say it. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> um, I they could I have like they could that. have Dean I, Stockwell guest star. I mean, I guess <laughs> and Scott I mean, Bakula. Why not? Yeah, yeah, you might as well. Yeah, you as might Romulans. As well. <laughs> yeah, you might as well. I mean, I could see that. I mean, it's a it's a cheaper way of like you know of doing co- cosmetics and everything. I guess I don't know, uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I actually kind of like that. Actually, hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you think, Amy? So when they, the idea was that the quantum leap, like when they leapt, then they would sort of look well, different. All, all, all of a sudden, Q is putting, I think it's Picard, Data, and Deanna into the bodies of officers aboard a Romulan ship. But when we see them, we see them as we know them as human. Oh, And they okay. have to figure out what's going on, navigate through the story, like quantum leap. Yeah, okay. All right. And I don't know why Q would be doing that, but hey. Yeah, why does Q do anything? Uh, yeah, I think it would be interesting, but yeah, I think a little too similar to Quantum Leap. So I can see why yeah, it was... They're probably afraid of being sued or something. Exactly, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's the... We got in, I guess, uh, four there. <laughs> so I wanted to get some final thoughts on what you guys thought, Richard. You know... I would love to see so backtracking to IQ test. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see Arnold Schwarzenegger with Jonathan Frakes. That would be cool. <laughs> Arnold is one inch taller, which actually I'm actually surprised he's six really? foot one. Hmm. Yeah, that where well, I just looked it up. Yeah, Jonathan Frakes is six foot one, which I actually thought he was taller. So that now hmm. that makes I thought he was like six three or something like that, but I guess not. So that makes him feel shorter now. <laughs> He's only like three inches from me. So anyway, um, <laughs> no, two inches. So anyway, um, so um, yeah, that's uh, I could. I mean, all all crazy stories, all cues centralized. Um, I, I like a, I, I like a lot of the the that they're um, they're trying to infuse more humor into uh, into it. Uh, obviously, they've seen it through one through four that it's getting too derm dramatic and you know not enough fun into it and i could see that so um it's good that they were thinking about it and um obviously we have more uh, better stories <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> come through well deja q was season three and that was a fun q one yeah but i'm talking about like overall you know what i okay, mean like yeah. you know just like it because like i mean a bit uh, there are i mean obviously they're a bit um like deep stories in there but like yeah mm. i mean yeah not like this kind of fun so, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Amy, your final thoughts. Yeah. Interesting point, Richard. And to that, can you imagine them saying that about discovery? It's too soap opery. It's too drama. No, that's exactly where discovery is. And they would never put in this fun, you know, happenstance episode in the middle of their season. So I think it is very interesting to compare and contrast television 
based in the 90s versus now what we're seeing in 2019. Um, I, like I said, I would like to see the first two Q episodes, uh, but the last two, eh, you know. And interesting point, you're right, Justin, that the, we don't have a Q story and probably... And we can see there's obviously evidence of them, you know, trying to create a Q story and just one never made it in, you know. Uh, so and then I also like uh, seeing, you know, Rick Berman liked it, but then Micropillar, you know, put the kibosh on it. So it just, despised it. They actually said despised, yes, despised it. So he strongly it. didn't like it. <laughs> So very interesting to learn about these season five Q episodes that just didn't make it. Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, I think that's something I've noticed before, like, huh, he's not in season five, but he's in all the other seasons. And here's why they kept trying and trying and just nothing worked. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, first of all, that during season five that Herbright was getting this mandate, like, let's have some, go, make it crazy, make it outrageous. I think it's going to be too expensive. No, go for it, go for it. You know, like they, they kept saying go for it until Michael Piller was like, no, nope, too far. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting. I was very amused by the, <clears throat> by the IQ test story and some of the other ones and just thinking about, you know, some of the crazy things that you could do. So I think it was really interesting and to, and to see them as a group and also to see, you know, what, what kinds of scripts that they were doing in season five, because for the lost episodes, we mostly looked at seasons one and two. And I think there was a lot of stuff in there where it's like, it's like, do they know the characters or what's really going on here? But by season five, they do. And I think despite some of the craziness, like, I think they know the characters a little bit more and that comes through more. So I think that's pretty interesting to see. All right, guys, so this has been really fun, and let's give you a preview of next week's episode. So next week, we're going to have an interview with Dennis Madalone. He was a stuntman and stunt double on The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, as well as the stunt coordinator for TNG Seasons 3 through 7, DS9, and Voyager. So I think that's going to be a fun interview to get some of those perspectives. Yes, I've never interviewed or talked to a stuntman stuntman or stunt double or a stunt coordinator. That's awesome. Yeah, me either. It's going to be great. Well, it's been so much fun talking about the lost episodes from The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. But I don't know, like that that one, as I was looking through the examples, I was like, that's pretty badass to just take that risk. And I think Riker's taken aback. He's like, you're going to kill Deanna? No, don't do that. But I, I think she convinces him like, this is this is the way we have to, to do it. So I don't know. What do you think? Wow, that was not even <laughs> on my radar. <laughs> Versus... <laughs> well, of course, it's killing I Troy. Know, yeah. you know? <laughs> Literary Treks. The, it, it always frustrated me because on on screen we saw in depth the Klingon government the Bajoran government the Cardassian government to a lesser extent the Romulan government we almost never saw the Federation government you know we, we three three times we saw a president once we saw the council the council was mentioned any number of times but we never really saw it warp five I thought it was cool when he when he, he hits it, and it's, it's like, like knocking wood. on the door. <laughs> like, so did they install like a wooden neck for him or something? Right. It, it doesn't make any sense. You know what? 
I leave that up to, I guess, people had less knowledge of biology overall, you know, the general public in 1939. So, yeah. whatever. We're going to file that under. We, we just got to go with it, and we'll file that under our neck cannon. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Melodic treks. Star Trek Three was Christopher Lloyd's crew, you know, mm-hmm. and and I mean the, the, his impact on on that culture and race of Klingons and the rest of the franchise is, is, is still being felt. And and to me, he's my second favorite Star Trek uh, movie villain. Right, Khan would obviously be first, and then Krug is number two after that for me. Not the whale probe. Is the whale probe just misunderstood? <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our uh, our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show, just like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not practicing your Q powers? Ooh, I like practicing my Q powers on my students, so can I do that all the time? <laughs> Sorry, it's the end of the year. These kids are driving me crazy. Uh, you, When I am not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I uh, host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery here on the network. I'm also on the Fandom Podcast Network uh, hosting Discoville, which is about the Orville and Discovery. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson and my favorite place right there in the Babel Conference. So you can find me there. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not a guest on Q's game show, Fact or Fiction, which I think you would just crush it? You know, actually, I have that game. Really? Uh, Fact or Fiction. Yeah, there's actually a, uh, there's actually a game that Jennifer loves collecting games, but um, um, there's a game called Fact or Fiction, and actually, uh, we play it a lot. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, funny how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, you guys can't find me on the Babel Conference. I'm taking a break for right now. But if you want to, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not practicing your surf moves behind your chair? Not going to lie. I was doing that earlier today because I wanted to practice. But you won't see it now. So when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at trekfan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Yes, currently, and still tweeting out my Season 7 rewatch of The Next Generation. It will finish sometime. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. 
If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebizio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Uh, thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Today is a good day to die! Q episodes are impossible until they're not.